Welcome to Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Here's your host, Amanda Galbraith. Happy Friday, everyone, wherever you are. I hope you were smiling. It's also for many of us. Uh, I'm not a parent, but I have friends that are have kids. It's the Friday before March break kicks off. So hopefully some of you are planning vacations or getting breaks or really looking forward to spending two weeks with your kids after spending two years with them at home. So <laughs> thoughts and prayers. Uh, I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we bring top talent from across the iHeartRadio Talk Network to debate the five biggest stories of the week. And we have a panel for you today. Ken Eastwood is the morning show host on News Talk 1290 in London, Ontario. And Ryan Price is the news director and afternoon drive host on CFAX 1070 in Victoria, BC. Ken and Ryan, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, do you guys have big March break plans, or are we sticking around? Um, no. You know, <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's funny because you know, you were talking about having kids, and our kids are grown. They've moved on, uh, moved out. So it's just my wife and I stuck together in our house for the last two years. <laughs> so our uh, our March break will look very much like the last two years has looked. So no, we've got our, our March break plans are just like the uh, the last two years, sitting at home, oh. waking up in the morning, looking at each other and saying, uh, what do you want to eat for dinner tonight, honey? Well, it sounds exciting, Ken. I, well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's good. Well, it's not at all, and- no. <laughs> And I, because, and the first story up today actually will probably impact folks like you. Um, you may not be going far because uh, gas prices across Canada are expected to keep smashing records despite a significant midweek do- dip in the oil, price of oil. So even though price of oil goes down, you still are paying more at the pump, which I know you're all experiencing. So the average Canadian retail fuel price yesterday morning climbed to nearly dollar eighty-seven a liter. Uh, from $1.85 on Wednesday and $1.66 a liter last week. The average price of a liter of regular gas in the GTA alone has risen 32 cents so far this month. Here's Dan McTagg. He's the president of the Canadians for Affordable Energy. He says he expects gas prices to continue to be in the $1.80 plus range for the foreseeable future. What worries me more than anything else is the damage this does to the Canadian economy at a time in which it's expected to come out of the pandemic uh, you know uh, on all pistons if you will and uh, we're like just we're likely to stumble this will bring the Canadian economy and many other nations to a screeching halt which sounds super exciting for all of us expecting a post-pandemic life. but anyway and ha- more happy news at least the government in Alberta has said they're going to stop collecting its fuel tax at the start of April and plans to offer a $150 electricity rebate in an effort to help Albertans deal with the rapidly rising cost of fuel here's Premier Jason Kenney who made the announcement on Monday Alberta will end the collection of the provincial fuel tax this means the price at the pump will drop by 13 cents a liter putting money back into the pockets of Albertans Now, it sounds great, right? Well, that's because he can do it. Obviously, Alberta benefits from the price of oil going up. And this is this sort of bonus to Albertans is predicated on the fact that the cost of fuel stays above $90 a barrel. So if it goes below $80, then the gas tax would return. Uh, on Tuesday morning, Quebec, cons- Quebec Conservative leader also pushed the Legault government to stop charging sales tax on gasoline. Here in Ontario, we've had the same thing happen, uh, where they're pushing Premier Ford, who had promised to reduce uh, the gas tax, but did not do so. So we are faced as Canadians with this 
increasing prices, increasing inflation. We're trying to get back to our regular lives. And I'll go to you first, Ken. Um, Do you think the federal or provincial government should do more to cut gas prices? So You're going to love this answer, Amanda. Uh, Yes, no, and maybe. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> uh, as a consumer, I mean, I, I, I was I went to the gas station this morning because, uh, as we know, the prices dipped a little and it was I mean, I had to line up. I had to line up to pay a dollar seventy four a liter for gas. And I, I, I just wanted to scream at everybody. What are we doing? What? This is not cheap gas. So as a consumer, absolutely. Would I love to see the price come down? Definitely. As a taxpayer. That's the maybe. Um, you know, this this reminds me a lot of the plan to eliminate license plate stickers. Unlike the Alberta government, the Ontario government does not benefit as much. I mean, we do um, when the price of oil goes up. Um, so my question for the provincial government would be, OK, if we remove even a portion of the provincial fuel tax a la Jason Kenney, what's not getting funded? What I mean, what impact is that going to have on the bottom line of uh, of the books for the province? And, and finally, as a voter, uh, no, I don't um, look at it as an election tactic, a tactic. Uh, if if the premier is looking at this as OK, I'm going to do this thing and it's going to buy me some votes. No. Is it worth it for the province to give uh, prospective voters a gift of a cut on the gasoline tax? Only to see it wiped out the next day by an increase in you know oil prices that translates to an increase in gas prices. It's just not worth it. So that is an interesting answer, and I think one that's nuanced. Obviously, I do think they can do a little more. I mean, obviously, we know you know looking at how even for a dollar eighty four, for example, in Ontario, um, mm-hmm. ninety six cents of that is raw crude. cents of it is taxes, right? We know that the carbon tax is going to go up April 1st. Um, For example, that's about an extra 22.2 cents a liter on average. So it's rising Mm -hmm. to about 11 cents per thing. But Ryan, how is this going over in in BC? Are uh, are people clamoring for the provincial government there to do something? Or is it just sort of we accept that this stuff is kind of beyond our control and maybe part of the price we pay for what's happening in Ukraine? Yeah, yeah. By by the way, sorry about the connection dropping earlier. Did you uh, mention how much gas is here in Victoria? Did that come up? <laughs> I mentioned the average price across the country. I did not specifically get into Victoria. So by all means, do horrify us with whatever let, the total is. Let me tell is. you, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing you guys talk about the Toronto gas prices going, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, $2.08.9 here in Victoria. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's where we've been at for the week. <laughs> are you going uh, anywhere or are you just staying home all the yeah. time? So this has obviously been a huge topic of discussion this week around Victoria, both here on the radio and just in, in life. You, you, everybody's talking about it. Uh, I know in Vancouver, it is even a little worse in some places, although I think there's a bit more of a spread there. Here in Victoria, it's all the same price, pretty much. Uh, no, So there are people wondering, should the government do something? We're watching Alberta, as you mentioned. Uh, the opposition party, uh, the main opposition in B.C. is the uh, B.C. Liberal Party, and they've been pitching an idea, which I think is interesting, that uh, we've got the carbon tax, of course, in B.C. We've had it first. We've had it since 2008. Uh, the rest of the country is starting to catch up with carbon pricing, but we've been doing this for a while. And when we first started it, it was revenue neutral in that all of the extra money the government connect, uh, collected because of the carbon tax was then given back to everybody in income tax cuts. 
and over the years that stopped and now the government just rakes in the money and puts it into general revenue and does with it as it wants so their idea is hey let's go back to that revenue neutral thing let's start giving the carbon tax money back to people the gas will still be expensive It'll still have the effect of encouraging people to burn less gas, you know, drive an electric car or take your bike or do something because the, the gas prices are so crazy. But at least the pain would be eased if uh, the money was returned. I thought that was an interesting idea. Hmm. There's also the discussion about how obviously it's not just you at the gas pump paying more. It factors into everything. Transportation costs for goods, uh, groceries, you know, whatever it is. Most of our stuff moves in a truck that is burning gasoline, and that is going to be increasing the cost of everything at a time when everything is already going up. So I, I think there are a lot of people arguing for it, but, you know, it's not necessarily universal. I think the other thing, too, is a lot of people thinking one of the reasons our gas is so expensive is probably what we're seeing around the world. It's Ukraine. It's Russia invading Ukraine. It's the instability in the global oil markets because of that. And some people think, look, this is... I had a, a a colleague here at the radio station uh, say it's it's the Ukraine levy. We're we're paying the, the the levy to support Ukraine, and that's a mindset some people have. Like, look, I could pay a little more at the gas pump. To to it's it's better than what they're having to deal with in Ukraine. I can deal with this to stick it to Russia. That that kind of sentiment is certainly something I hear too. Yeah, and I think that is something, by the way, I I hear and I agree with. Um, I do think if we have to pay a little bit more to keep pressure on Russia, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but I also do think that the fact, I think governments, plural, have sort of ignored this affordability issue for quite a while. Yeah. And yeah, like there's creative policy solutions like rebates are talking about. But, you know, I was listening to the federal um, minister earlier this week, the industry minister, and his answer to this was we need transition to an energy, like a renewable energy economy. I'm like, the answer to this is not buy an electric car. It's not let them eat cake. So anyway, we'll continue to watch this. We are all trying to do our part to support the people of Ukraine, but are some groups going too far? That's next. After the break, I'm Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. This is Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, where we bring top talent from across the iHeartRadio talk network to debate the five biggest stories of the week. Uh, with me today have Ken Eastwood, morning show host on News Talk 1290 in London, Ontario, and Ryan Price, news director and afternoon drive host on CFAX 1070 in Victoria, B.C. So on Tuesday night, the Calgary Flames hosted the Washington Capitals. Now, I'm not a hockey fan, but even I kind of paid attention to this one. Captain Alex Ovechkin, who's a Russian hockey player, was booed whenever he touched the puck. Ovechkin has historically been a vocal supporter of Russian President Vladimir Putin, and the Capitals' captain Instagram account actually features a photo of him standing next to Putin. A picture of the two is also Ovechkin's uh, photo there. So on February 25th, he spoke of Putin. He's uh, my president, but how I said, like, I'm not in politics, like, I'm an athlete. I have a family uh, back in Russia, and uh, it's scary moments, but uh, we can't do anything, uh, you know, we just hope it's going to be ended soon. He's one of many Russian hockey players who faced online threats, verbal abuse, um, prompting the NHL and even some of the teams, they've, they've bolstered security around them. So sponsors have backed away. Um, what we've seen lower leagues have limited Russians' participation. And some people, like Calgary citizen Gordon Sokolin, are calling for Russian players like Ovechkin to step away from the league. And why should we allow uh, Russian players to play on our teams here in the NHL 
in a safe environment and earn a comfortable living while their brothers and cousins are, are murdering people. And it doesn't stop there, right? Last week, the Vancouver Recital Society canceled a scheduled concert by a 20-year-old Russian pianist named Alexander Molaviv, who lives in Moscow uh, because he's Russian. Um, the Orchestre Symphonique de Montréal did the same thing a few days later. This is all in spite of the fact that Malafiv has posted to his Facebook, quote, every Russian will feel guilty for decades because of the terrible and bloody decision that none of us could influence and predict. Uh, we've also seen Canadians hate on Russian bakeries and restaurants, even though they have nothing to do with the invasion. A Welsh orchestra has also pulled the performance of Tchaikovsky from its program, saying it's not appropriate at this time. So I wanted to put this to the panel because I, you know, I've been very vocal about my support for Ukraine, about how we need to make Vladimir Putin and, you know, the Russian government feel every inch of what we can around punishment and consequences for what's happening with this war. But we're now in a place where it almost seems like we're flipping into, you know, we, I guess the same kind of hate we saw at the beginning of COVID-19 because of Beijing's lies about it towards Chinese people. Like, are we now moving to hate Russian people as opposed to the Russian government? So, you know, I guess my question to you and to the panel is are we okay with banning or canceling things because they are Russian or are we going too far? Ken? Yes. And I, and I don't think it's hate. I think hate is a strong word. We have seen some of that and I think that is wrong, but there's a difference between hate and responsibility. And I think, you know, and you said, Amanda, you and I, and pretty much everybody in the West, we all, you know, fully support Ukraine, um, but, and condemn what Russia has done. And this is where, and, and I, as a hockey fan, Alex Ovechkin 100% deserved the booze he got. He is, uh, he is completely wrong when he says he can't do anything. Um, he is a, he's a very influential person, uh, far more influential than he's making himself out to be right now. And he cannot play both sides of this. You either, are, you either condemn Russia's actions or you don't. And from what I heard Alex Ovechkin say, he does not condemn it. So, and he is, I mean, the, the second he cozied up to, uh, to Putin, he became political. So he is 100% wrong. And it's a shame because he is doing irreparable damage, I think, to his brand. Uh, he's, I mean, what a night where he surpasses Yarmar Jagger as the uh, third all-time leading goal scorer. And, and that story was a footnote. Like he, I mean, this guy really needs to start thinking about his legacy and he cannot be playing both sides of this issue. Uh, Ryan, what do you make of it? I think the Ovechkin story, just to fo focus on that one for a second, is interesting because he has been so vocally pro-Putin. It, it does kind of make that one more complicated. But I do say just in general, I feel bad for all of these Russian uh, whether they be athletes or whoever they are that are overseas, uh, the, the well-known Russians who are, we're looking at them to to denounce what Putin is doing, what Russia is doing. But I feel bad for them in the fact that they've probably got family and friends and close people to them back in Russia. And this is not a country where they're above rounding up your family and 
mm-hmm. who knows what happens at that point. So I do do feel like we should maybe temper our expectations of all of the Russian celebrities in the world coming out strong and speaking out against this because there could be repercussions back True. home to their family. But that said, I feel like the Ovechkin story is as he has been a little bit on the pro-Putin side, so the booze might have been warranted. But I also feel that just in general, I am very uncomfortable with the backlash against Russian people here in Victoria a few days ago at the uh, there's a Russian Orthodox Church somebody vandalized it they splashed uh, red paint on the front door but this this is a church that is not supporting the war it has Ukrainian citizens or Ukrainian uh, uh, descendants who live here in Victoria who attend this because it's this isn't the Russian government. This is just a church, an Orthodox church that Ukrainians and Russians and everybody can go to. But people are trying to take out that anger on just regular Russian people who probably don't support this, especially if they live here and are, are consuming the media we have that uh, is you know not the propaganda they're getting in Russia. So I, I am very uncomfortable with the fact that I think there's way too much anger being directed at regular Russian people. And we should talk about it. Uh, we should be open about the fact that it's the government. It's Putin. It's the. It, 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 that's where that anger is directed, not the Russian people. Yeah, and you know the Vancouver Recital Society to me was actually a really interesting one, right? Because it's a twenty-year-old pianist who's actually openly criticized his government on social media, right? He lives in Moscow, so he's going to have to go home. Yeah. And they were they were very they they were very open about the fact that they were challenged by this they were asked by the ukrainian community to cancel it and they understood that at the same time they're like if we do this with him and we pay him money and he takes that back to moscow he's then funding that economy which is funding this war so like, to me i think there's a lot of there's a lot of shades of gray here though vetchkin thing i agree is different for example nikita mazepin i'm a huge f1 fan um he was pulled as a driver from Haas, but his father's company is he's an oligarch his main sponsor of it to me that made sense that's open and shut mm-hmm. but i do think we are now towing into an area where we are starting to hate russian people for the sake of being russian and i think that is also not what we are about i was actually talking to a friend of mine who's really involved uh she's a canadian ukrainian canadian and she said one of the things they're teaching their kids is she said we don't hate russian people we don't like vladimir putin and the russian government so like you can still have russian friends and can't like there's a difference there but I, i feel like that's being lost um ken you know what do you make of that well, I, I agree. And I think Ryan's 100 percent right. The hate is the, is wrong. It's entirely misdirected. And, and I'm glad, Amanda, you brought up the oligarchs because really it's the, the oligarchs that are the ones who are going to be putting the pressure on Putin and the, the Russian government to change policy. That's how F change is going to be affected. But how do you hurt them? The only way to do it is, you know, we've seen just a, a slew of businesses pulling out of Russia. Well, all that does is put Russian people out of business, takes money out of their economy, and that's how presumably you hurt the oligarchs. But uh, translate that to, for example, uh, a, a pianist who's going to perform, a, uh, a hockey player. Yes, they might be in North America, but they are still Russian and they are still contributing to that economy. And you still hurt that economy by making those individuals suffer, even though they're here in North America. Yeah, so I think we'll, I mean, I think this one's going to continue to evolve, obviously, as we see these sanctions. I think the other interesting thing we're going to see, too, is the, how the untangling of, like, talking about the oligarchs, right? They have, there's lots of investment in Canada, stuff that's, you click over a rock, there's going to be shell companies that have invested in that, and they own, you know, Canadian steel plants, manufacturing facilities, and how is our government going to untangle that? 
mm-hmm. over the next, uh, you know, next couple of years. And I think and having repercussions on Canadian workers. And, and are we willing to do that? Just like we're seeing with gas price increases. So hopefully we can continue, I think, as a country. And I think it's important to put pressure on on the Russian government, on Vladimir Putin, on the oligarchs. But I would also urge all of you at home to remember that there are lots of Canadians, lots of Russian Canadians who are denouncing this war and they are not the enemy. The Conservative leadership race is heating up. Who does our panel think will take the crown? Find out after the break. I'm Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. The Free For All Friday Roundtable continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the show. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, and I'm very into all the intro music, by the way, today, Nick, our, Nick's our technical producer. Um, I, I've been grooving to all of them, uh, which is a nice way to go into your Friday, and maybe it's your March break kickoff, so hopefully if you're traveling, you don't have to use gas, and if you are using gas, well, may your wallet be light and, you know as we go uh as i mentioned i'm amanda galbraith we're a host of free for all friday where we debate uh the top stories from the week and today on the show we have ken eastwood who's the morning show host on news talk 1290 in london ontario and ryan price news director and afternoon drive host on cfax 1070 in victoria bc so i'm really excited to talk about this story because as some listeners will know my background is in conservative politics uh as well as journalism uh and this leadership leadership race has kicked off with well a little less of a bang if you're on the Jean Charest campaign to be honest uh the former Quebec premier and PC leader officially threw his hat in the ring last night from Calgary and told supporters the party needs to heal but as I look at the party today the party is fractured and the party needs to look at itself and ask itself what is it that we represent who is it that we represent and in this day of the obsessive identity politics everything becomes hyphenated between red and blue. Now, Sheree, like, has some smart people around him, like all of the campaigns do. They have some very smart backroom workers. But I will say there were some early signs that I find a, a bit concerning. Uh, first, his launch video, if you've seen it online, it lacked a little bit of energy, to put it kindly. Um, he looked like he was being held hostage somewhere. Uh, second, um, he was asked last night about his work with Huawei uh, when he was a consultant, which is the Chinese telecom that played a significant role in the over thousand day imprisonment and torture of the two Michaels in China. Uh, he said, and it's this thing we knew he was going to be asked about. Well, I'll let him use his own words here. Let's start with uh, Huawei and you know what, what we did in Huawei. I'm very proud of what we did in helping to uh, sort out the situation of Ms. Meg Wanzhou. So he said he's very proud of what we did. And I think, you know, it'll be up to him to explain that. Uh, but I think it's going to be a tough message to get across. He did do something I fully support, which is announce his opposition to Bill 21. So I think that's a big deal. Other people in the race, Pierre Polyev. He's a longtime MP, a bit of a social media juggernaut and is considered the front runner. Uh, if you haven't read a piece by Shannon Proudfoot, by the way, McLean's about him. It's a feature. It's worth it. Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown is expected to launch on Sunday, and Leslie Lewis, who's a former leadership candidate, is also in the race. So the vote is on September 10th. Candidates have until April 19th to declare their intentions. And before I go to the panel, I do want to set the table a little bit, and that this isn't just your typical leadership race, right? There's, you know, 
the the liberal governments had three mandates now or in their third mandate it's very likely whoever wins this is going to be the next prime minister of canada and we're also on the precipice of a world war if we're not already in one so the stakes are high and you know andrew coin has a piece about this this week which i think is worth it so this is actually very important this isn't this isn't just for you know this is for all the marbles so maybe i'll take it to you first ryan um what are you looking for in this race and like from these candidates and what do you think and separately maybe what do you think they need to do to win well, I, I, I go back to history and conventional Canadian political wisdom, which suggests that uh, Apolyev, who seems to be the front runner, who's really embracing more of the social conservative, the anti-cancel culture, the let's go shake hands with the freedom trucker convoy protesters and embrace some of the more troubling aspects of what uh, what that represents. Uh, to, to me, I go, well, that can't work. Canada's not going to vote that in as, as the uh, the government, but... But that said, I feel like things are starting to get a little strange. I feel like what happened and worked in the past isn't necessarily going to work now. So I'm really curious if the Conservative Party decides to embrace that side of itself and reject the more moving toward the center side of itself, which we've already seen demonstrated. They got rid of O'Toole, who did exactly that, attempted to... Appeal, uh, appeal to a broader uh, sense of Canada and uh, reach out towards the middle. The, the caucus kicked him out because of it, it seemed. And they they seem to be heading that way. Can that work? Uh, while I think historically that has not been the, the strong point of the Conservatives in an election campaign, things are getting different. And I feel like there's there's a, a shift happening in, in Canada that we've seen in the divisions created by things like uh, like COVID restrictions and the, the, the way that has caused a stir, the way that uh, COVID has affected different people, uh, uh, d- different class divisions are starting to form and f- trying to find uh, their place in politics. So I feel like it's getting a little bit sh- different and shaky, and I'm, I'm not really sure what's happening. But if, if I was just thinking based on what I've seen before, it seems like a, an odd choice if, you're, if you are, like you said, uh, preparing to try to take over the government from a liberal party that's starting to get a little old in the tooth. Is that the way to go? Is that the way to, to broaden your appeal outside of the prairies and Alberta? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's an interesting conversation to be had, right? Because obviously winning a leadership, this is, all parties deal with this, but I think in the Conservatives in Canada, particularly a challenge, right? Winning a leadership is different than winning a general. And winning a leadership, I think about 170,000 people voted last time. I mean, they're a very specific kind of person. So running anything to appeal to the broad spectrum of Canadians to win a leadership, you're probably going to lose. At the same time, guess what? Social media exists, mainstream media exists, whatever you say in a leadership gets to hang around your neck for an entire campaign. Uh, and I think that's something all of the candidates are going to have to deal with. Um, Ken, uh, what have you, you know, so we've had Pierre's in already. He's, you know, he's very much an open book, I think, about where he sort of stands on places. We've seen Charest. Mm-hmm. I, he seem, looks rusty to me. But, I mean, obviously, he's been a formidable um, champion of the country. He's he's Quebec-based. Um, I think they have very different perspectives on what they want to do with the country. So I think, regardless, it'll be interesting. So what do you make of how this race is shaping up so far? Well, you're right. And I think, um, I feel like Jean Charest, I mean, clearly he doesn't, he's not as savvy. He just doesn't have the cachet that uh, Pierre Polyev has. Um, as, as you mentioned by, you know, his launch video, just amateurish and you know does not look like something <laughs> that you would expect to see from someone who would uh, would like to hold such a, a high office um but you know we've talked about this before uh, the, the the problem the way i see it 
with the conservative party is that the beliefs within your average conservative voter have become so broad now that it's virtually impossible to appeal to the broader conservative voter because I don't think that that exists. And I think what Pierre Polyev does is he does appeal to a a further right than usual uh, conservative voter. And I, I firmly believe that with every move further to the right you make and to every single voter on that right side of the party that you appeal to, you alienate two more closer to center. I, I really do believe that there is this large segment of the population in the middle that would love to vote for a fiscally but socially responsible conservative party. But and, and Ryan, you alluded to this, but they see some of the things going on on that far right side, some of those tendencies that they just cannot support and can't bring themselves to vote. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a challenge. The one thing I do, I just want to make sure I feel I feel compelled to say this because I I do think it's important is we talk a lot about the movement to the further right on the conservative side, right? Um, I don't think we actually talk enough about the movement to the left on the liberal side. And I think yes, um, you've seen uh, Pierre Polyev and certain conservative politicians sort of feed that anger back that you're hearing from the public post COVID and that sort of thing. But at the same time, I feel like fermenting that anger, those divisions in part were sowed by a prime minister who called people who did not believe in vaccines, homophobic, racist, like troglodytes. You think there's a, there's a responsibility there. Regardless, that still means you have to run win a general election. And actually one of the, an interesting take on prime minister Harper, who, um, you know, united that party successfully led for a long time. Um, Pierre Polyev was, uh, was a member, like a very junior MP, and then eventually a junior cabinet minister under his, is that it wasn't so much that he brought the party to the center, it was that he pacified the right, the far right reaches of the party. They stayed calm and quiet and united because they felt like he would keep them together. So I think to be successful at this, it's not so much, to my mind, that you drag the party center, although they will have to do that, but it's more that, that whoever the leader is, is going to have to make sure that that right flank stays in line otherwise we're going to have fractions and you're going to have them spill off as we've seen in the past so lots of runway for this debate lots of runway for this leadership uh, especially expecting patrick brown brampton mayor to come in on sunday so we'll continue to talk about that mask mandates are dropping across the country are you ready to go face naked i'm amanda galbraith on the iHeartRadio talk network <laughs> Listening to Free For All Fridays with host Amanda Galbraith on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is what I get for commenting on <laughs> intro music. Uh, all right, I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday. Welcome to the musical performance of the show. Uh, with me today, I have Ken Eastwood, morning show host on News Talk 1290 in London, Ontario, and Ryan Price, news director and afternoon drive host on CFAX 1070 in Victoria, B.C. 
All right, so masks. Masks are being dropped across the country. Alberta, Saskatchewan stopped mandating the wearing of those on March 1st. Quebec dropped masking in schools as of March 7th. New Brunswick, Newfoundland, March 14th. Manitoba follows the next day. NBC was the latest to announce yesterday when they that they said they will remove their order to require masks in all indoor places as of midnight this morning, so 12.01 a.m. Uh, here's Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry. She says the shine shows the risks are much lower, and while they're not zero, she's confident health officials can safely make those changes. While today is another really positive step forward, we have to be ready to bring some tools back, if necessary, depending on the situation as it changes. Uh, this follows Ontario also announcing this week they're lifting max, mass in nearly all public places, including schools on March 21st. Here's Chief Medical Officer Dr. Kieran Moore. I am asking that we remain kind, considerate, and respectful towards those who continue to choose to wear a mask. Now, if you're in Ontario and you've heard the Ontario media or any half of the Twitter accounts I follow, you would think that we're the only province in the world to remove masks and, uh, you know, the world is about to be at an end. Um, I am not of that ilk. Um, I feel like this is a necessary and probably very standard thing we can do. And if you want to stay masked, by all means, fill your boots. I will be burning mine. Um, Ken, where are you on the to mask or not to mask? Will you be face naked or are you going to be continuing to wear your mask? I was uh, spinning my mask on my finger as uh, we were coming back with that uh, that awesome <laughs> mask strip tease. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, it was funny. My, my family went out for dinner, went dinner and bowling last night. And the establishment we were at had it was just the weirdest policy. So the policy was if you were seated, you could take your mask off. So you stand up. You put your mask on, which I thought was just ridiculous, just a, a silly policy. But we did it anyway. And I'm like, I cannot wait to not do this anymore. At the same time, you know, and, and I, I, I get what you're saying, Amanda. You know, we're one of the last jurisdictions in Canada and North America to, uh, to still have mask mandates. At the same time, you've got Dr. Moore saying, you know, it, it's time. You know, we're, we're listening to the science. At the same time, you've got the science table. You got Dr. Peter Uni saying, no, it's too early. We shouldn't be doing this. If we're really listening to the science, we we should wait a little while longer. So, uh, honestly, I'm personally I'm ready. Uh, I I don't think I don't think the science is a you know it's not a solid line that we can cross and say okay we've reached this point now we can take the masks off. Honestly, I I, I kind of hope that. We never get rid of masks entirely, though, because I think that it should be one of those things that we sort of have in our back pocket at all times, figuratively speaking. You know, if you're in a high risk situation, maybe you put the mask on. You're going to visit grandma in the, uh, in the home. Put your mask on. What's what's the harm? Keep grandma safe. Yeah. And I think like when I was in Japan, you know, in the before times when we were still traveling, um, like when people are sick, they wear masks, like if they have to go about their day, right? Like that's a cultural thing, which I think maybe mm-hmm. we can get there. Um, but Ryan, you're in Victoria. I mean, I admired with great, I've always admired the BC government throughout this process, but the, the chutzpah that is as of midnight tonight, masks are up and that's it. Like that's all. Whereas in Ontario, we're gonna have like a two week gyration of pain over this. Uh, how did that go over in BC? Well, the, the reaction is still coming in because, as you mentioned, it just happened yesterday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. It was suddenly, look, a few more hours and then you can ditch them. Uh, so I think there's still a lot of people f- judging how they feel about this. In Victoria specifically, we've been a place that has seen very, very high vaccination rates and very, very high compliance with things like COVID safety measures. So um, I think a lot of what I'm hearing is actually people saying, oh, I don't know if I'm ready. 
am I really ready to suddenly just today stop wearing the mask? I think it's going to take some uh, people a bit of time to adjust. There are also a few more nuances to our rules, such as schools will continue to have masks for the time being until the end of spring break. And our spring break doesn't start next week in Victoria. It's uh, the week after. So there'll still be a little more time of kids wearing masks in schools. Uh, a lot of workplaces are welcome to have their own mask policies. I know where I'm working here at this radio station, we still need to be wearing ours in the hallways and uh, in in the workplace. So I think there's still going to be a fact of life, but uh, yeah, out you know, going to restaurants and all that stuff that's that's ending. I personally think I'm still going to keep mine around a little bit. I I think I'm going to need to adjust to this. I've spent two years trying really hard to not get COVID, and I've succeeded so far. I'm one of the the lucky ones who's never had it yet, and I I I, I don't know. I'm, I, it's going to take me a while to to ramp down from that sort of high alert mindset that i've been in and kind of Mm -hmm. like uh, you guys said i i do hope that it sticks around that when people are sick they continue to wear masks because i've really liked that i've thought that that's a a cultural shift i hope sticks and speaking of sort of transitions um we have seen signs of life at least here in toronto and what's called the path which is sort of an underground system um between all the high-rises and the financial district i work in a downtown office building um and there was uh you know a bit of one of them came under fire this week because they had signs welcoming people back to the office, but the signs in the lobby read, miss your sweatpants yet, and bet your dog is missing you, with the photo of like the saddest looking dog by itself. Now, the company that did this said they did it as sort of a joke, um, but it did not go over well uh, with the public. And this is sort of on the heels of the fact that, you know, for example, there's a survey by the Business Development Bank of Canada that sound 55% of people want to work from home still. So, um, you know, Ken, do we need to have a better sense of humor or was this just this was a bit like salt in the wound for some folks? Yes. And yes. The funny thing is, this campaign <laughs> actually coincided on Monday of this week was my first week in almost two exactly two years back in studio doing radio from my home for two solid years. So I get it. I thought it was cute. You know, I thought it was kitschy. I thought it was creative. But at the same time, I recognize there is high anxiety for a lot of people heading back to work. You know, Ryan talked about, you know, not being ready quite yet to, you know, ditch the mask. I think there are a lot of people for whom, you know, you've been working from home for two solid years to keep yourself safe. And now the company says, okay, it's all good. You can all come back to work now and everything's fine. There is that real high level of anxiety that and I think that's where this that's the nerve that this campaign touched. Uh, Ryan, I got about 30 seconds for you. Where do you stand on this funny joke or poor taste? Dumb. So dumb. That's what I think. <laughs> I, I, I get I, I almost get where they're coming from. I feel like verbally that's a joke that you might be able to pull off. But just the sad dog. And you know, like, like you said, most people coming back to work probably don't want to be going back to an office. And then you're going to remind them as they walk in trudge into the office for the first time in two years oh hey here's all of the other bad things about you being here it just, I, I, I don't get it i don't get why anybody thought that was a good idea i don't get it touche yeah i mean i don't know i i am maybe i've been locked in my condo working I and mean, we were lucky with the place in prince Edward county we got but uh 
like I, you could not, I'm so excited to go back to the office to be around people. Um, I love my dog, but I don't mind not spending 18 hours a day with him. And I'm really excited not to wear a mask. So I feel like I'm just like really ready to go. And I need to be more patient with the rest of the world that is, that is emerging from, um, all of this in COVID, but at least we are emerging. Um, so that's great. Well, thank you so much, Ken and Ryan, um, for coming on the show for a nuanced and thoughtful debate as always. Uh, thank you to our technical producer, Nick with great musical choices and Sam, who helps behind the scenes. I'm Amanda Galbraith, host of Free For All Friday, and I will see you next week.